Well, we are making our way through the book of Hebrews, and uh, we've already walked through quite a bit just in the first couple chapters, all the while keeping in mind that the basic message is pretty simple, that the coming of Jesus was the tipping point in all of history, and there's no going back, right? Jesus has come, and everything is better because he is truly better. He's better than everything that has come before. And those things that came before weren't bad. Jesus is just better. And the author of Hebrews is compelling his readers to to not go back to the way things were, even if they were more comfortable and socially acceptable. It may not and likely will not be easy, but Jesus is truly better. He's the culmination of all of God's purposes. He's our only hope. And so to follow him is worth any loss. We're in chapter 3 this morning, and we'll be looking at verses 7 through 19, but I want to back up and start reading in verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Scripture says. So, so this, is, this is why we backed up. We need to know what he's talking about when he says, therefore. So since Jesus is far superior to Moses, as as he is son and Lord over God's house, whereas Moses was only a servant, we ought to hold fast our confidence and our boasting in Christ alone. And as we'll get to in the following verses, we should be especially careful to hear his voice and obey his word. So with all that established, therefore... Verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." So these verses are quoting Psalm uh, 95 that we heard a couple times already this morning, which recounts the rebellion of that wilderness generation uh, from the Old Testament. This generation that provoked God through, through disobedience and unbelief repeatedly, right? And, and they refused to enter the land of Canaan, the land that God promised to give them. They refused to enter that land when they were commanded to. And their hearts grew cold and hard against God. And when they were tested, they, they resisted his warnings and failed to believe his promises. In their testing, they tested God instead of, of trusting him. And instead of believing he cared for them, as he had proven over and over again, they became convinced that he despised them. And the unbelief is... Really staggering when you consider that they experienced God's gracious work for 40 years. Think about that. These people were literally brought out from slavery 
with, with plagues and pillars of fire and cloud and, and passed between walls of water through the sea on dry ground and, and miraculously provided for again and again in the wilderness. And still, they did not believe. They did not persevere. And because the author of Hebrews here is aiming at convincing his readers to not go back, this, this is a major part of that appeal. As we'll get to in the following verses, this is a warning. Look at their example. Don't do that. So therefore, because Jesus is our confidence and hope that we hold fast to and boast in today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as that wilderness generation did. And today is today. It is for all time, as we'll see more in a bit. But today, if you hear his voice. What's pretty great is that we don't have to wonder if God is speaking to us. We know that from, from, from all of history, from the garden until right now, God longs to commune with and be near to and speak to his people. Like we say every Sunday, God speaks to us through his word and and through the sermon and through the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He speaks to us in the forgiveness of our sins and through one another as we pass the peace of Christ. Don't then go into your week with hardened hearts like you didn't hear from the living God. Hearing his voice should lead to to faithful obedience. Obedience that is an act of, of your whole being, understanding and choosing and resolving to do God's will that is declared by his voice. Yes, through the liturgical means that I mentioned, but also through his eternal word, his eternal voice. If you remember back to the beginning of chapter one, Jesus is God's final and perfect speech, his word. So so hearing his voice means an obedience to Jesus and all that he commands. See, the wilderness generation had the signs and the wonders, but we have the advantage of seeing the whole scope of history laid out since then. We have the testimony of those who walked on the earth with Jesus We have his presence and it's his voice that we are to hear and obey. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. As Christians, we have the word of God applied to or or impressed upon our souls. By the Holy Spirit, your heart of stone has been removed and you have been given a heart of flesh, as the prophet Ezekiel says. Know this, believe this, rejoice in this. Do not let your hearts become like like hardened wax that can't receive the impression of the seal that is Jesus. The author of Hebrews wants us to look back And remember how hardened hearts ruined an entire generation of God's people. Hardened hearts that that resulted in unbelief. 
See, they did not believe that God was good. They did not believe that God knew what was best and would provide for them and bring them into his rest. So they forfeited that rest. They provoked God to swear that they would not enter his rest. The rest in Psalm 95 refers to that land of Canaan that was covenantally promised to Israel. And the author of Hebrews is calling back to that rest uh, of this historical promised land of Canaan, but, but pointing forward from that to the rest we have now in Christ and to the ultimate rest in the promised land of God's future. We can forfeit that rest, just like the wilderness generation forfeited their life in the promised land. Because you see, ultimately, unbelief separates us from the one true and living God. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So, so because of the disastrous outcome of the wilderness generation, because of their falling away from the living God. Take care, take, take heed, beware, lest the same things should happen to you. None of us are exempt. Remember, the author is writing to Christians. This warning is addressed to believers that they not fall away. Now, he's not speaking of, of a, a just kind of wandering or temporary straying, right? The unbelief of the wilderness generation didn't just last for a couple months. Unbelief does not mean wrestling through seasons of doubt and questioning. Unbelief is an abandoning of one's post. It is rejecting God as Lord. It is apostasy, and it's a dangerous place to be. So what do we do? Verse, th- verse 13 is the antidote, as it were, to this apostasy. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we should exhort one another daily so that we're not deceived by sin that would lead us to, to abandon the Lord. Think about what that means. As we are, are encouraging one another and, and speaking truth into one another, th- there's a power in that to fend off a spiritual hardness that is the result of sin's deception. We can do that for one another. But it is a mutual endeavor that we all need to be committed to in order that we all hold fast to Christ and persevere in our faith. Part of that endeavor is what we're doing right now by gathering together, being reminded of the goodness of God and the dangers of unrepentant sin, by sharing a meal together and encouraging one another in our faith. But as important as this day is, it's only one day. And occasional encouragement is not going to do everything that ought to be done. Daily encouragement is needed, the scriptures tell us. Now, don't get legalistic about that and and feel the need to start a spreadsheet and, and recording all your interactions of encouragement so that you make sure you're checking off that box. It's not the point. 
but it's not a bad idea to build certain rhythms into your daily life by which you're finding others to encourage and who encourage you. This will build a a culture of encouragement by which we help one another persevere. Encouragement is, is such a healthy thing. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's a bit awkward to tell somebody, hey, I think you're really great. And I'm very thankful to the Lord for the talents that he's given you. But it's a good and life-giving thing to the whole body. And just, just a quick challenge. Don't dismiss encouragement with a false humility. Just receive it. And don't avoid giving encouragement because of your own insecurities. Ask the Lord to reveal to you the beauty of the community of brothers and sisters around you and the seriousness of persevering in our faith. And then act on that. The author says something interesting in verse 13 to exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So back to that first line of Psalm 95 that's quoted, today is today. It is for all time. As long as we're in this world, it is today is his point. The day of final rest is not yet. It is still today when when shared encouragement and exhortation is needed should see every day as as having significance, especially if we can have an eternal effect on each other's lives. Because sin will blind us to the dangers right in front of us. We can think we're safe and actually be on the edge of a cliff. But, But wisdom and correction and encouragement from others are a powerful means by which the deception of sin can be unmasked. Verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We share in Christ. We are made one, co-heirs, incorporated in him. We are one body with him. This is everything. We share in Christ's obedience, in his suffering, in his death and resurrection. We share in his victory and his glory. We share in the rest that he is ultimately destined for us. And and that's wonderful and glorious. But notice the condition. If we hold firm our original confidence, that is Christ. To the end, if we obey his commands and, and believe in him and persevere. But listen, this condition isn't based on our merit. We cannot earn our status as partakers in Christ, but as Drew pointed out last week, we can forfeit our place in the family. We can renounce our share in royalty. We share in Christ if we hold fast to him and persevere. It isn't enough to just start well. That's made clear in these last few verses. Verse 15, 
As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We get another reminder here that the generation of God's people who saw a physical deliverance from Egypt did not finish well because of their sin of unbelief. Not merely disobedience of commands or or difficult circumstances. They did not enter God's rest because they did not believe. We say this all the time, but the warnings addressed to the early Christians are still true today. God's word is for all time. Today, if you hear his voice. So we should all be vigilant so that unbelief does not begin to invade our hearts. May we be a church marked by daily and mutual encouragement and exhortation so that we aren't hardened by sin. May we truly know one another and share in one another's joy and sorrow. We must help one another persevere to the end because if we persevere, we enter God's rest in Christ. And that is accomplished because of Jesus, through Jesus, and as we remain and abide and share in Jesus. We share in Christ by obediently following him into his rest. I want to close by looking at something that it'll get, it'll get explored a bit more later on, but it's lying just under the surface here in this chapter. And that's the idea that Jesus is the new and better Joshua. As we've seen, the author is calling the reader to remember the days of Moses when the people failed and believed and died in the wilderness, right? So that next generation needed someone to lead them into the promised land, into the rest that the previous generation had forfeited, and that person was Joshua. Joshua was commissioned by God to lead the people across the Jordan River through the waters, yes, and into the land that they were to conquer and take possession of God's promised land, his rest. The name Joshua is a form of Yeshua, the Hebrew name of Jesus. In the Greek, the names are identical. And just as Yeshua led the people through the Jordan and into the land that God had promised, the greater Yeshua, Jesus, was baptized in that same Jordan River, came through the waters and called his followers to himself, who we could say is the promised land. Joshua is remembered as a warrior who conquered and destroyed the Canaanite armies. We see Jesus presented as a conquering warrior in the New Testament. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And he did just that on the cross. Joshua appointed the twelve who were to divide the inherited land Jesus appointed the 12 apostles to announce the truth to the whole world, which is Christ's inheritance. 
When Joshua divides the land of Canaan as Israel's inheritance, this is the, the happily ever after moment that they had waited for since before their slavery in Egypt. They were finally, after over 400 years, coming back into the land that God had promised them as an eternal inheritance. They had received their inheritance. Jesus, as the greater Joshua, conquers death and brings his people into an even greater inheritance to share in him. We share in Christ. We have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God the Father. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have been adopted into God's family and have become heirs of those same covenantal promises to Israel. A greater inheritance indeed. And even still, this all points to the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's promise of an eternal home with him in a new creation. Now, this isn't just to compare Jesus and Joshua and say, aren't those some really neat connections, you guys? Um, Yes, they are really neat connections. But through those connections, the biblical authors are trying to open our eyes to the whole story of the Bible. One story, one big story that all points to Jesus. And here the author of Hebrews wants us to see that Jesus is the faithful leader of his people who brings them into the possession of a promised eternal inheritance. That is who we follow. That is who we hold fast to. This is why we persevere. Jesus has passed through death to new life and he speaks to us. Follow me. Leave it all. Follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Follow me. He has gone before us and has made a way for us. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are good and we believe. Help us in our unbelief. We humbly ask that you would give us ears to hear and as we hear you speak, soften our hearts to receive your word and obediently follow Jesus. Help us, your church, to stir one another up to perseverance as you lead us into your rest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.